Dr. Anton Anfalov has spent decades studying crashed UFOs and where these have been stored and where these have been reverse engineered in the former Soviet Union and present-day Russia. He has spoken to hundreds of witnesses with knowledge about how these craft have been retrieved, their, their storage, and their capabilities. And he's with us today on Exopolitics Today to continue educating us about these, rush, these crashed UFOs in Russia, the reverse engineering, and the secret space program. You're listening to Exopolitics Today with Dr. Michael Sala your source for the uncensored truth regarding the human, extraterrestrial, global, and political agenda. Click the like button and subscribe to this channel. And now, here's Dr. Michael Sala. Well, welcome back to ExoPolitics Today, uh, Dr. Anfalov. Hi, guys. Nice to see you. Well, you know, you have uh, an incredible amount of information on this topic on what's happened in Russia, and Russia's a vast country, and uh, you've sent me uh, some of the cases that I think are very relevant to what is being discussed in the United States today. Um, certainly in the United States, in 2004, there was a very famous incident concerning a Tic Tac UFO that was sighted uh, by pilots and radar technicians associated with the USS uh, Nimitz, an aircraft carrier conducting uh, training just off the coast of San Diego. So they had uh, this tic-tac craft that behaved in uh, a way that got their attention. That was in 2004. Well, in 1989, you uh, sent me information about a UFO crash um, in, in the Soviet Union uh, in Pramorsky Krai, and so what we have here is an, some the information about this ellipse. So uh, you want to tell us about this incident in uh, Pramorsky Krai involving what looks like like an ellipse or something like a tic-tac. Yeah, it's egg-shaped craft or, you know, oval-shaped. And they recovered it in spring of 1989. And actually divers were sent to investigate underwater. This operation with several vessels and Navy, Pacific Navy fleet was involved in this recovery operation. And they positioned the ships above this object that was on the bottom of this um, Pacific Sea, Japanese Sea, actually, offshore uh, of Vladivostok and Nahotka and that area, southern Far East, Primorsky Krai or territory. And they retrieved it from under the bottom and brought it ashore. And nobody knew what it is, maybe fuel tank from some missile, you know, maybe. They didn't know, and they tried to cut it by gas cutter. You know, this cutter that they use plasma cutting process, using plasma to cut metal. But it was fruitless completely. They couldn't open the hull, and uh, nobody could do anything with it. And then they decided to send it to Moscow for proper 
research because in Moscow they had much better equipment and machinery and um, you know scientists and scientific research institutes just to open the hull because they didn't know what's inside. And with all means, they couldn't find any proper tool to open it. And it was opened only in Moscow, I believe, in that area, in the area of Moscow region. And that wasn't the only incident like that in the USSR, even in that year, in 1989, there were other cases um, and they retrieved a num number of other objects near Kapustin Yar as well. Uh, on August 12th of the same year, there was also the incident with UFO recovery and they found this disc and this disc was influenced by new radar, radio electronic countermeasure and special equipment used to countermeasure the countermeasures against aircraft against foreign you know technology this is so-called rep or radio electronic warfare and when this brand new equipment was brought to Kapustin Yard Test Central Range Number Four, they activated this equipment, and amazingly to them, this equipment influenced the UFO, the alien disc flying nearby, and it was affected, and they brought it down. So this was like they shut shut it down, and. Uh, that was the case as well in 1989 and the number of other cases. By the way, on August 21st of the same year, 1989, they retrieved another UFO from Czechoslovakia, from Eastern Europe, from the Czech Republic. And they brought it to Vodohod Air Base in, in Czech Republic. And at that time, Czechoslovakia was under Soviet control. It was a so-called um, uh, central group of Soviet army. And they brought it back to also to the area of Moscow to study this disc from Czechoslovakia as well, the same year. All those events happened in the same year, 1989, amazingly. And it was perestroika already, it was glasnost already, the new era in Soviet times. In the same year, Berlin Wall was destructed, you know, and German nation was united to, uh, as before, reunited together. And that was the year when Cold War actually ended. But anyway, that was the year of several UFO recoveries because 18, uh, um, 1989 and 1990, those two years were the years of the most active uh, of the greatest UFO activity all over the Soviet Union and uh, Eastern Europe as well, and also cases with Belgium Triangle in Western Europe as well did happen uh, in 1990. So that was the UFO flap. And this flap was the most famous during the whole Soviet history of all Soviet ufology. Well, you want to tell us about this uh, other other crash uh, that you told me about, which was in, in 1987, this uh, boomerang-shaped craft, 20 metres, 
and it, it had a live crew on it. So, and you supplied a, an illustration here. So, this is the craft, I guess, that uh, crashed somewhere in that West Siberia region in 1987. So, you want to tell us about that incident and what was the crew inside of that craft? Yes, because one of my informants from KGB, he was uh, the member of that special department, the most secretive one. And I was trying to extract as much information as I could from him. And he told me that that same year, 1987, they had three recoveries in that area, not just one, not just two, but three separate places and three separate recoveries did happen in the area of Western Siberia in 1987. And that was the biggest craft, yes, and they brought it in several uh, the retrieval operation was in several parts uh, with several teams. One team brought it from point A to point B, and second team brought it from point B to point C, and maybe another team brought it from point C to the final destination. And uh, because my informant knew only about first stage of this recovery and operation to, to transport this vehicle, uh, quite a huge vehicle, and they used uh, large transport uh, transportation uh, equipment to transport it, and they also used uh, river because you know these great Siberian rivers like Opie, like Yenisei, they're um, huge, and you, you can use big vessels and cargo ships along these rivers to transport heavy loads, and that's very easy way to cover this up because a lot of cargo, a lot of loads are usually transported along these Siberian rivers, and that's the easiest way to hide this retrieval operation itself as an ordinary operation to transport, you know, civilian lots and civilian cargo along uh, open Yenisei rivers. So, uh, frankly, I don't know the final destination point where they put it, but as he told me, this definitely happened in 1987, this big recovery. And also he was part of another recovery the same year near the mouth of River Op. That's the uh, northern part of Tumen region and Hanty Mansi region, where River Op <laughs> goes directly to the Arctic Ocean. And that's where they found 20... Uh, sorry, 12 meters in diameter, um, quite large disc crash there, smashing and destroying some trees, and um, it was a little bit tilted, lying on the ground with a dome on top, and it had a crew of two aliens on board, was that intoxicated by something, I don't know by what exactly. I don't know all details of these operations, and unfortunately. And these people, they don't talk much usually. They just 
give most necessary and basic information and not everything, unfortunately. So I definitely know about the three recoveries in uh, West Siberia, exactly West Siberia, and not only there, because that very same year, 1987, there was another recovery in Wiborg area near Leningrad to the west of this famous Russian city, now St. Petersburg. And uh, they recovered um, quite amazing objects there. It was looking like a um, rocket or, you know, a big fat cylinder. And amazingly, Michael Gorbachev or Mikhail Gorbachev, the general secretary of the CPSU, Central Committee of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union. He was taken to Monchegorsk Air Base himself that year in 1987. And he took personal, uh, uh, he participated in person there. He was taken by aircraft to that military air base in Monchegorsk. And they showed him this recovered vehicle inside the hangar at that air base on Kola Peninsula. And uh, even he was acquainted with this, you know, and he was shown and he was in the loop, but partially in the loop because KGB is very secretive. It was extremely secretive in this um, specific subject. And a uh, lot of things are were beyond control even from the top positioned officials and from the leaders of the country, you know. They don't know everything. And Putin doesn't know everything. He is not completely in the loop, even Putin himself, because he is, but um, to some extent. And every one of them was in the loop and is in the loop only to some extent and to some degree. All the rest is withheld and withdrawn and beyond their control because they want these leaders to be manipulated. They're all under control, under manipulation like puppets, you know. That's how the system works of uh, control and actually alien control as well because aliens control them as well. Right. So we got different layers of control. Uh, we got the uh, senior national security officials. Uh, we got the aliens themselves, different groups. Um, now, one of the interesting cases that you also sent me that I think is worth looking at is uh, this. Uh, cigar-shaped arc in Siberia that was found. And uh, and I'm just very interested in that craft that was found that you uh, describe it as Potomsky uh, Crater or Kulpa Kulpa's Cone, this uh, craft that seems to have like just crashed into the ground and embedded itself. So you want to tell us about this 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 um very interesting shape and why you think it could be a, a cigar-shaped arc of some sort. Actually, first of all, it's not cigar-shaped. 
what attracted my attention is specific ellipsoid shape or egg shaped you know like a huge egg or ellipse it's not cigar no way and uh, as about Potomsky crater or Kalpakovsky cone that's only one of the hypotheses you know that's only one version of this event because when they measured what's inside what's below the ground using special electric equipment they found that they have this probably huge body cost set, you know, uh, that penetrated inside, creating such cone with huge uh, kinetic energy and uh, approximately 600 meters long. And, um, but it's not for sure, because um, as for me, I'm not completely sure that this object is under this particular cone there. But I'm sure for certain, that they have some other locations like this, where they have indeed this ellipse-shaped or egg-shaped um, objects deep under the ground. For example, in the area of Black Sea between Crimea and Taman Peninsula, uh, between Crimea and Gelenjik, they detected uh, this object under the ground using special measuring uh, electric uh, equipment, scanning the surface under the ground. And uh, that's proven for sure, because on that diagram that this equipment provided electronically, this object was shown, it's exactly oval shaped and egg shaped, yeah, exactly this picture. And you can see it's very deep, it's 80 kilometers under the ground. Oh my God, it's very deep. You can't penetrate there, it's very deep. But anyway, it's clear, it's present, and uh, this is equipment, you know. This is not just some brains or illusions of some illusions of some mind, you know, it's clear technical data shown on this diagram. And we have this uh, dielectric scan from underground scanning uh, of the Taman Peninsula between Gelenjik and Crimea. And that's where it is. And uh, we know from other sources there was a huge shaft, uh, shaft on the ground, very deep, and they put it there, aliens that arrived. And also we have information that these vehicles, X shapes, they belong to a very specific alien race called Namlu. Uh, kind of progenitor race or antediluvial or uh, ancestors, and they were andro androgen because they didn't have sex at all. They were very specific creatures, neither male nor female, and they looked like giants, three meters tall, like tall blondes, but they're not tall white aliens and they are not Nordic blondes because they're sexless androgen 
progenitors or ancestors, the so-called Namlu. Namlu is Sumerian name from ancient Sumer. And uh, these guys knew about these aliens. And evidently, they have this name in their Sumerian records from Middle East, you know, that area of ancient, one of the most ancient cultures on our planet Earth. And uh, Anton Parks writes about that in his uh, chronicles, the famous UFO researcher from France and other guys. So this is real. And when I stumbled upon uh, JP, and you mentioned him in many of your streams and uh, you took interviews from JP, he told X-shaped and I saw and I got idea oh my god oh my god i saw this i saw this before it's real they're really x-shaped they're ellipse shaped and then i just just put two and two two plus two together and you'll find amazing revelations sometimes and that's how i realized comprehended oh my god it's real you know that is fascinating. Uh, I, I know uh, JP talks about these uh, arcs of different sizes, and he mentioned that uh, they are that ellipsoid uh, shape. And uh, yeah, he mentioned exactly. that they were, you know, the size of um, two aircraft carriers. So that would be similar to the six hundred meters that that you described. So that one, that um, that ellipsoid UFO under. Potemsky crater is very similar, as you said, to what uh, JP was describing. Now, uh, you, you you describe the location as kind of like close to Crimea. Now, uh, JP said that uh, he went, or that, that he knew of, he, he, not that he went to, but he knew of one um, near Oleshki Sands National Park in uh, Ukraine. So I don't know. If, if this is connected in some way to the one at Potemsky Crater, but I think it's very interesting. I believe they're the same, but in different locations. There are more than JP knows. There are more of them, more, much more than he knows. And one is under the Black Sea between Crimea and Caucasus, between Crimea and Taman, deep. And uh, another one is under Loshkovsky sands near Kherson, Kherson region, because it's really weird place indeed. Nothing grows there, just sands. Sands emit such territories that doesn't have sands anywhere anymore, just there. And weird place indeed. And another one on the Taman Peninsula. And there are several of them in the region of Crimea and southern Ukraine. And also uh, in Kiev or near Kiev as well, because the area of Kiev is exact that area where they found Vimanas under the ground, several of them, cigar-shaped uh, crafts, but um, maybe different. But I am sure they have a number of them, you know. And Potomsky crater or Kolpakovsky cone in Siberia is not the only place in Russia. No, it's not the only place. I also know about place south of Moscow in the region of Lipetsk, 
big Russian city south of Moscow, industrial center. And in that region, as I was told, there's also alien spacecraft buried under the ground. And that's where probably they got access to it because uh, near Potomsky crater, they didn't have any access there under the ground. But uh, if they have access, they have this access in different place for sure. Okay, well, that's that's very interesting uh, that uh, R Russia has a lot of these ancient spacecraft that are buried uh, under the ground and that Potemsky crater, you said that that craft is like 80, 80 miles or 80 kilometers under the surface. So that's kind of similar to what JP is saying about these craft being buried deep underground, very ancient. And that's different to the craft that crash on the surface. So, so Russia's retrieved a lot of craft that have crashed on the surface. They've also found these craft that are buried deep underground. So um, I, I guess, uh, you know, clearly for the craft that they find above the surface, they take them to different places. And one of those places is uh, the, the Baikonur Tayura Tam uh, facility that you've described as being one of the storage areas for these crashed uh, Russian or these crashed UFOs in, in Russia. So you want to tell us about this facility at, at Baikonur, the Baikonur Tayaratam facility. Yeah, actually, the Tyuratam is the real name of this railway station there. And Baikonur was the name they used for distraction, to distract foreign intelligences, because the real Baikonur place is many kilometers far from this place. It was The very name was used to deceive foreign intelligences. That's amazing fact from the history of this place. And the history of this general test site dates back to 1955, but this specific particular site was um, in use since 1970s when they started collecting recovered UFOs there under the ground. Uh, site 92, it is called, and the general test site is called NIP-5. It's a scientific um, research and uh, test uh, site number five, and particular site has number 92. And this particular building where they have this tunnel, under the ground has number 223 or 223, marked by yellow marker to the right on this picture. And what they have there, they have this underground tunnel. When you drive inside this uh, hangar, so to say, or building, uh, it's just like many other buildings there, it's, you know, the person who doesn't know anything about that will never pay attention. But when you drive inside, uh, there's a tunnel that's inclined like this, you know, slightly with some degree, and you drive below, you descend along this tunnel, and you finally drive to the underground area. And they have network of underground tunnels there. 
when they were building this space clinical you know site missile site it's not only civilian it's basically military because Baikonur is under military control and it was during all Soviet times and every building is secret there you have you must have special access to every building there to every site you can't walk anywhere else there and um, they have this network of tunnels and specifically site 92 is called chilame processing site on this picture you see uh, as um, <clears throat> a proton missile by chilame design but vladimir nikolai chilame himself wasn't completely in the loop, despite it was positioned and located on his very own site and named after him, because his missiles and rockets and rocket science, everything is concentrated there, and all of his missiles were tested there, basically, um, of course, not only there, but th that was one of the sites to test these missiles, but that was excellent cover to hide UFOs because everybody knows that they have this huge cargo transporters, this <clears throat> transporters, <clears throat> this military trucks, this uh, platforms and Lobo, Lobo, these platforms when you can load heavy loads and missiles and things like cylinder-shaped UFO as well, can be well disguised as a, just a, as a military missile, you know. And that's excellent cover, excellent. Because everybody is used to this, for these transportations, for these operations. And when you just move another missile covered by tarpaulin and uh, by protective coverage, you know, Nobody pays attention to this. It's an excellent place to hide such things by Kanur. Very nice place for cover-up. And this Mitenk uh, transport is sky crane. They used this sky crane to pull up some UFOs in Soviet times in 80s, uh, specifically in 1983 in the area of Sakhalin, uh, island of Sakhalin, and in different other areas, it's very powerful. And it's now replaced by MI-26, which is modern and much more advanced and can pull up heavier loads than this Mi-10. It's no longer in service as Mi-10K, a sky crane helicopter, but it was in use and uh, amazingly it was also part of the Soviet Air Force, uh, not just uh, civilian uh, air company, air flot, operated these helicopters, sky cranes, you know. And that's what they used in some of the recovery operations, because uh, in dense forest and many kilometers somewhere outside in Siberia, it's very difficult to organize this recovery operation and this transportation. So you have to use helicopters and uh, lots suspended by helicopters to transport objects to the long distances, and that's what they did in the Soviet Union, and that's what they do now in Russia in these recovery operations.
Okay, well, now one of the key people in uh, the Soviet space program was uh, Dr. Sergei Korolev, who's considered the father of Russia's rocket program. And I know he worked closely with uh, some of the Nazi scientists that were taken over to the Soviet Union after the Second World War, that he worked with them and understanding whatever technology that the Nazis had developed. And uh, I know he was very interested also in these uh, uh, non-human spacecraft that had been retrieved. So uh, how important was uh, uh, Sergei Korolev in the study of uh, these extraterrestrial spacecraft or uh, whatever it was, whatever flying sources the Nazis had developed and, and, and kind of like helped the Soviet Union develop its uh, secret space program? Okay, uh, I must disappoint some guys who believe that he was one of the main players in this conspiracy. No, he wasn't much in the loop. Don't uh, believe that he was the main figure. He wasn't. Definitely he wasn't. He had some knowledge, yes, for sure. He was very interested in this beyond doubt. That's true. But they let him know only a few details and only a small part of the grand picture because he wasn't the only rocket science man in the USSR. He wasn't the main, uh, despite he was the main figure in sending Yuri Gagarin to space and Sputnik and all those Russian dogs to space. He sent as well, that was his uh, main role in this. And he, in this uh, meaning, he was the main designer, and uh, yes, he was very prominent, and he is most famous among all Soviet uh, rocket science guys, but he wasn't, definitely he wasn't the main key player and the main figure in the UFO cover-up in the USSR, forget about it. Uh, he was very interested, for example, when Tunguska event was, it was 1908 during Zaris times and uh, many years after uh, in his times, in Korolev's times, uh, he decided that maybe that was an alien spacecraft. And so he sent a special expedition to Siberia trying to recover some fragments of this alien spacecraft. And the famous Soviet cosmonaut Grechka, hero of the Soviet Union, he was part of that expedition. And he even gave him equipment and radio communication and MI4 helicopter, me for was also part of that expedition to Tunguska, to that area of Eastern Siberia, trying to find out some wreckage or debris from the exploded UFO. But eventually, big disappointment, they didn't succeed in this expedition. And nothing was found and nothing was retrieved because of the limited time and limited efforts. However, when I was there myself in the city of Krasnoyarsk in 2014 and 2013, I was there several times in special museum 
specifically dedicated to this Tunguska event. And I personally knew the uh, key holder and uh, the main guy responsible for all of this, Yuri uh, Lavbin. He was a dear friend of mine, and uh, I had possibility and personal opportunity to touch you for debris, because later, years later, they indeed found wreckage of the exploded UFO there in Tunguska area. And these particles of this material, it is called fertilicid or ferrum plus silicium. And it's very durable alloy, very um, hard and very specific alloy they used to construct alien spacecraft. And evidently this alien spacecraft collided with this Tunguska comet. And because of this collision, Tunguska comet exploded. And this alien craft crashed as well. That was double crash, you know, but by doing this, aliens prevented this huge catastrophe, this huge calamity on planet Earth. Just imagine if this Tunguska comet could crash directly into the soil, smashing all the trees, you know, putting all the soil to the air and creating this uh, local effect of the nuclear winter in the specific area of Siberia. Uh, Siberia. And this <clears throat> effect of the nuclear winter could influence big territories of planet Earth. And that's why it was prevented by aliens. And that's what we found together with my colleagues later, many years later. And Sergei Karolov did not succeed in what I succeeded and my colleagues, because I really touched wreckage and debris of the crashed UFO there by my own hands, by this very hands. This, particles and the species of ferrum plus silicium and plus other elements. I, I saw by myself this technical paper with the results of chemical analysis and study of this in Krasnoyarsk laboratory, laboratory of uh, aluminum production plant or so-called cross plant, Krasnoyarsk aluminum production Zavod or plant. And they have a special laboratory there, and they study this chemical composition of this alien material. And actually, it's not alien alloy. It consists of known elements on our plant Earth, ferrum and silicium, and also uranium 234, and other elements as well. It's definitely manufactured, it's not natural. And pieces of this wreckage are scattered all along this huge territory of um, dense forest or taiga in East Siberia in this Tunguska area. Uh, that's where Korolev organized his expedition. And I was sitting on the same sofa uh, where cosmonauts, famous Soviet astronaut Grechko was also sitting. And he was a member of this expedition to Krasnoyarsk Krai or Krasnoyarsk territory in Eastern Siberia, trying to find this UFO and what they didn't find, we 
discovered and my colleagues from Siberia actually that's amazing but that's fact and very few people know about that that you can visit this museum in the Siberian uh, huge city of Krasnoyarsk in a, a special scientific area they have this academic uh, or academic city and they have this special museum specifically dedicated to the Tunguska event of 1908. And they have amazing evidence there, amazing. And they have exhibitions there. And if you go there, you can find it and visit and touch it like I did myself, you know. That's Very few people know about that. Okay, yeah, that's uh, the Tunguska event is a, is a fascinating one. And uh, yes, I know there have been several expeditions. And uh, thank you for mentioning that Korolev did lead one of those expeditions to find out. Well, um, in, the, in our last interview, you, you mentioned uh, Taganay National Park in the Urals as Russia's S4. So it was just a brief mention. So I thought this time, uh, maybe uh, can you talk a little bit more about how important this facility is for Russia's uh, retrieval operations of uh, UFO craft that they've found, how they then uh, conduct their reverse engineering. And so, you know, how, what's the history of this facility and how deep, how deep is it? Well, it is the most sensitive facility now. It is the most secret facility now. And it is the main facility now in whole Russia dedicated to this uh, operations, reverse engineering, manufacturing, uh, copy engineering studies, and all operations starting from biological uh, checkout, radiological checkout, bacteriological, because um, checkout, because all these uh, stages are on the way there and they have these procedures, operational procedures, how to deal with recovered technology. And this facility is in use as far as I know, definitely since 1991. That was the last year of the Soviet Union and the last year of Michael uh, Gorbachev when he was resigned. Uh, he resigned from his post of the president of the USSR, and the USSR was disbanded that very same year, 1991. That's the year when they moved several objects from Zhukovsky to this location. And uh, definitely during the times of Gorbachev, they discovered this underground tunnels and maybe earlier, but the decision was made to use them for this specific military and research and development purposes to deal with recovered alien craft and technologies there under the ground. And actually, the Staganai National Park is public place. It has entrance, it has a lot of public places. Anybody, anyone, just anyone can visit and surf and walk by elections, but very few people know what is under the ground because they have entrances uh, 
produced from sites, stations dozens of kilometers from this public entrance, because they have this very long tunnels there under this national park. And uh, they have railway tunnel from south, from the area of Zlataust. And specifically, this is uh, called Zlataust machine building plant in the neighboring uh, city of Zlataust. And they have at least two sites there. One is the territory of this plant directly. And the other territory is so-called industrial area, uh, which they use to fuel these missiles, uh, rockets, uh, for Soviet Navy and for Soviet Navy submarines. And that's the area they have railroad tunnel and railway entrance inside those mountains because that's a big mountain area and several mountain ridges right in the center of Russia in Ural Mountains. That's the very geographical center of Russian Federation that separates Europe and Asia. And that's where, uh, where they have this huge complex. And this complex wasn't built by humans. No way, forget about human mining. It was built by aliens. And the humans only discovered entrances and built these tunnels uh, under these mountain ridges that can uh, penetrated and actually they stumbled upon these tunnels and penetrated inside like additional human bill tunnels connecting to this alien network under these mountain ridges. And they also have reverse engineering using nearby scientific potential because the area of Ural has a large concentration of different scientific research institutes, organizations, nuclear research um, uh, facilities like Chelyabinsk 65, like Chelyabinsk 70, and a lot of this uh, scientific research. Uh, institutes are located in the city of Yekaterinburg, former Sverdlovsk, also in Chelyabinsk, and also Zlataust machine building plant, and also Mias Gertse, which is um, called Gertse, means state rocket center, named after Makeev, or Makeev uh, State Rocket Center, where they uh, design missiles for Navy submarines of the uh, Russian Navy. And that's where they take people to that complex as well. And also they have scientific research institute called Germes or SRI Germes in the city of Zlataust. This city is very close to this complex, and they have a number of material research scientists there and experts in material research, in rocket science, in 
different materials used for machine building, for processing metals, for structural stability of different construction materials. And all those brains, uh, they have them there actually nearby to Taganai National Park. And that's how the system works. They select specifically targeted people they all sign non-disclosure agreements. They are even brainwashed. They use some mind control technique and even they use some chemicals to erase, to wipe out, I mean, erase memories from human brains sometimes. And uh, from the city of Krasnoyarsk, I know one case from Krasnoyarsk 26, uh, huge underground plant, when one guy suffered from memory loss. He lost his memories. What was with me? I don't remember. What did I there for? The specific amount of time I don't just don't remember what happened, you know, when they have this malfunctions of the system. But usually it goes without that, it goes well to cover up everything because all those guys uh, were scared, frightened, they keep silence about everything, just everything. It's very hard to make them talk because it's highly protected, highly sensitive, highly mm, secret. It's most sensitive now, specifically. And since to the year 2000, almost every UFO found and recovered on the territory of Russian Federation and also nearby countries, they move it there to Euro, and they uh, now collecting all UFOs that they can get there because it is easily for them to compare results, to study them at one place and to minimize the number of leaks. That is also um, connected with strict secrecy because you are doing this you are minimizing these leaks. And you can also use compartmentalization because I'm sure they are not in one hangar, all of them. They have different underground hangars there at the depths of one kilometer. Frankly, I don't know about how many levels they have, probably several, but definitely it's very deep. It's one kilometer deep, and definitely they have several separate underground hangars with these UFOs. It's how you can also apply compartmentalization. And they also have this uh, underground railway network, very long, and huge tunnels for military trucks to transport all this equipment from uh, Russian manufacturing plants like Zlataust, like, you know, in Chelyabinsk, in uh, Sverdlovsk, um, now Yekaterinburg, and also they have Chelyabinsk 65 uh, nuclear production plant, it's huge nearby, and they also take some experts from there, and they began taking experts from of technical physics named after the Babakin, which is positioned in the city of Snezhensk, which was uh, Chelyabinsk 70 during Soviet times. And they have mm, quite a number of uh, so 
brilliant experts in material science, in material engineering, and uh, plasma and nuclear physics, and to study power plant, to study materials, to study navigation system, to study all equipment they recovered. It's huge work. It's huge process. And a lot of people involved, but they all are scared. They don't talk. They will never talk about this because it's so strictly compartmentalized and still. It is the biggest secret of Russia now, maybe. It is one of the most biggest or even the biggest secrets that I'm now exposing those yes. dangers to my life. Oh. I dare to say that with my open face, guys, that's the most sensitive and most top secret complex there. And it's real because uh, I know a number of leaks that is definitely there, but you cannot find it because it's, they were wise guys. They were clever to camouflage it because entrances are very far from Taganai National Park. You can go dozens and even hundreds of kilometers inside along these tunnels. And so you use and they use actually quite uh, big tunnels, wide tunnels to transport UFOs, maybe three dozens of meters across, so maybe even more some tunnels, uh, at least three, 30 meters and more. They're huge. Some tunnels are really huge. Sure, humans and Russians did never have this equipment to build these tunnels, and they are left from the alien civilization. And the most important, not to forget, this is the joint use complex. Aliens also take part in the process. Aliens control Russian scientists and engineers and military and FSB guys there. It's under alien supervision and control because even Soviet Union had connection, connections with several alien races uh, with the first they have Ananabra archives from archives from Nazi Germany from 1945. Also they had connections with Drakor reptiles maybe with insectoids definitely since 1965 with Grace and also gray aliens, I mean, and also with Nordic blunts, apparently from Pleiades, star cluster, and Taurus, or, but definitely these guys are tall with blonde hair, and they look like typical Nordic blonde Scandinavians, you know, and Russia also has connections with these guys. And Putin himself had several meetings with these guys directly, with Nordics, and also with tall white aliens. Please don't mix them together, because tall white aliens are different from the Nordics. They are called Indugut or Anzu, or Ja'ami alien race. They are different. They have cat-like eyes. They are more, you know, wishes and I know one case in, uh, recently, several years ago, when these guys, tall white aliens, were in a car 
entering Putin's residence near the city of Sochi, where Vladimir Putin has his own specific special residence. And these alien guys were in a car entering control point to the territory of this residence. And one of these guys who was there at the control point and saw this, he said, oh my gosh, who are these guys in this car inside, beyond these windows? They had this very pale skin and this long uh, white, uh, milky white, uh, you know, hair and very specific eyes. They were not human, forget it. These alien guys drove inside the Putin's residence near Sochi. It was recently, several years ago. And I was told this story, wow, my gosh. I truly believe this because it wasn't the only one leak. There were other leaks from exactly from Kremlin. Once upon a time when they had this fire accident or incident in the territory of Kremlin, directly inside Kremlin, uh, firemen were called specific unit. And also these strange guys arrived very tall, you know, very alien looking, non-human definitely. And they also took part in this incident. I don't know what they did there, trying to recover some documents or some equipment, or I don't know, but they definitely took part. They were seen there directly, the alien guys in Kremlin in Putin's residence, and also in Sochi in Putin's residence. And I also, all, uh, also know they uh, were in person, these guys in Valdai. Valdai is in Novgorod region near uh, St. Petersburg, where Putin also has his residence, and these alien guys were also seen there. And also in Altai, in mountain Altai, where Putin also has his residence. Aliens participate together in this operation. They have direct contacts with uh, military. They had direct contacts with GRU and also with KGB special department. I uh, know history of these contacts. That's amazing. I don't know everything, of course, but I know that Michael Gorbachev himself had a meeting with the Salians on March 17, 1985, when Gorbachev and his close associates and his uh, nearest colleagues took part in this meeting directly with aliens in uh, Pirogovsky Forest uh, Nature Reserve near Metishi, uh, sorry, north, uh, east of Moscow Metishis and Pirogovsky Forest where this meeting did happen, March 17. Yeah, that is, that... because, because all people talk about Eisenhower met aliens. So yes, okay. Eisenhower signed treaties with aliens, okay. But nobody knows what Russians did, what Soviet did, the Soviets did. That story is amazing. Yeah, well, we'll have I to come back to that story. story. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we will come back to that story because it is, as you say, a very important story. But just going back to Tuganay National Park, because it's very important that you've identified this as being kind of like um, 
Russia's premier facility now for studying retrieved uh, extraterrestrial spacecraft that it's buried a mile underneath the ground. It, it's an extensive ancient uh, underground tunnel system that was first established by extraterrestrials. Some extraterrestrials are still there helping the Russians. I wanted to just ask you what Russian corporations are involved in the actual reverse engineering and the construction of alien reproduction vehicles. In, in the United States, Lockheed Martin's Skunk Works, uh, Boeing's uh, Phantom Works, they're, they're typically uh, referred to as the ones building all of the flying triangles, the flying rectangles, the flying saucers that are used in the secret space program. So in Russia, what, what corporations are involved in that? Okay, first of all, you can't can't even compare any Russian corporation with Boeing because it's, you know, it's the sizes are absolutely different. Russian corporations comparing with Boeing are miserable. They're poor. Don't compare them with Boeing. <laughs> In Soviet times, that was the different story. But now Russia is declining gradually and they don't have much money. They don't have much personnel. They don't have much scientists because look what happens now. They cooperate with Northern Korea and Iran. That's a miserable situation now. However, uh, specifically, they have this OAC, so-called uh, United Air Building Corporation. And Mr. Fedorov, the chairman of this OAC, was Fedorov. He was in the loop. He knew about these recoveries and the reverse engineering and other guys from this joint aviation building corporation, so-called, uh, which is now formed in Russia, unlike Soviet times. They also in the loop, however. And during Soviet times, several uh, corporations of the military-industrial complex were involved. First of all, two departments of or ministers. The first was the Department of General Machine Building or Minopshimash, Ministry of Machine Construction. It was dedicated to the space industry, exactly targeted to all these operations. Another was Ministry of Middle Machine Building or so-called Min Sredmash. It was completely dedicated to the nuclear weapons and nuclear research and uh, all operations and all enterprises. Dozens of enterprises were involved. Huge amount of enterprises was involved gradually, uh, separated by compartmentalization for this reverse engineering by these two big departments in the Soviet Union. And also some specific corporations like Suhoi or Su Aviation Building Construction Corporation and specifically Pavel Suhoi and his successor uh, Mikhail Simonov was also involved in back engineering. For example, they reverse engineered one vehicle uh, from the UFO wreckage they discovered in North Caucasus in the 60s, approximately in 1966 or 67. 
and they reverse engineered it and in the 70s they already had flight tests and also in Akhtubinsk, where they have this hangar number one, Akhtubinsk Air Base, where they fly test different vehicles, and specifically hangar number one was for foreign manufactured aircraft. Uh, uh, everything they found abroad, they were transporting to this hangar in Akhtubinsk number one, including some UFOs, some UFOs for flight tests specifically. They were trying to test them in the air, not just on the ground, but to reverse engineer and to fly test. And also recently I learned that they had uh, several sites to fly test anti-gravity disks in the Soviet Union. The Kapustin Yar was one of the sites where they had this reverse engineered anti-gravity disks. And also Lieutenant Colonel uh, Kapasovsky told once upon a time that, that had, uh, they had a laser powered disks here tested using laser power, not just anti-gravity engine internal, but also external uh, power. And another side is in the city, uh, which was called Kuybyshev in Soviet times, and now it is called Samara. And they have two big um, plants there. One is Aviacor plant, aviation construction plant, where Tupolev was making his aircraft. Uh, and the second is Progress. Uh, space vehicle machine building plant. They are neighboring side by side and the same airfield there. They are positioned on the same airfield called Bezemianka airfield on the eastern part of Samara, the famous Russian city of Samara or Kuybyshev it was called. And they flight tested anti-gravity disks there as well in the city of Samara Kuybyshev. And Progress plus plant was involved and Aviacor also was involved to some degree, but uh, not completely. Only few people were in the know. And also specifically <clears throat> Mikoyan and Gurevich, the famous Russian aircraft manufacturer called MIG or MIG, uh, very famous. And the uh, general designer Belikov was there, and other guys. Specifically, they had a special department dedicated to anti-gravity research, to this electric anti-gravity. And these guys were in the loop in this special department. It's like Lockheed Skunk Works. If you compare Mikoyan and Gurevich with Lockheed. This special department can be compared with Skunk Works, but it, it's, it was much more small and much more secretive. And actually, the famous Russian UFO researcher Vadim Chernobrov wrote in one of his books about this department in Mikoyan and Gurevich Aviation Construction Company. And I know that they reverse engineered this mer Mercury vacuum engine very specific, like Germans were using in Nazi Germany on their flying disks uh, 
using mercury fuel, very specific mercury, not just this liquid metal, but with specific radioactive isotopes uh, and very uh, difficult chemical composition. This fuel for anti-gravity UFOs and actually uh, the famous scandal in Russia about the so-called red mercury, it was also connected with this because during Boris Yeltsin's times, it was very famous talk, topic about this red mercury. You know, uh, Russia was selling this red mercury abroad to different countries. They had their price lists, you know, that was commercial enterprises. And uh, later it was declared a scam. However, it's not that simple, guys. It's not that simple because this substance do really exist. And this is indeed the fuel for anti-gravity UFOs. And this fuel was manufactured in Russia as well in huge volume in specific uh, Russian plants and even in the Soviet Union in big uh, quantity. And it was supplied for, you know, international covered SSP, secret space program. And it wasn't that simple. And also Novosibirsk was involved, a big aviation construction plant. And actually this Novosibirsk plant manufactures aircraft uh, by Suhoi. Uh, Su-24, Su-34, and others. And that uh, plant belongs to this, basically to this Suhoi Construction Design Bureau. And that's how it happened during Soviet times. It has very long history of reverse engineering. And now they have so-called OAC, uh, a joint Air Building Corporation, it, it's basically responsible. It unites a lot of different companies, not just one company uh, different. But comparing with Boeing, they're tiny and they're miserable. They don't have that much money. And actually they are part of international SSP and they were years before the Russian invasion to Ukraine. They were indeed part of international SSP, secret well, space yes, program. Yes, we will be talking. We will be getting on to the international uh, secret space program. Uh, so this, this next question kind of like takes us to that. Now, in 1972, you say that that's when the, the United States and uh, the Soviet Union first began serious space cooperation. And uh, there have been many stories about an Apollo 20 mission to the moon where they were where they went to explore this artifact a, a kind of like a a, a very long um, a, a cylinder shaped craft that was found on the moon uh, they they you can see it it that is an actual Apollo mission uh, photograph so that is actually there so the Apollo 20 mission was sent there to explore that so so what do you know about that Apollo 20 mission which was a joint Soviet-US mission to explore that artifact on the moon? Okay, first of all, this mission was never called Apollo 20 because Apollo 18, 19, and 20 were canceled. This mission had 
quite different name. This mission used used uh, quite different equipment and spacecraft was different. And it wasn't Apollo. It wasn't Saturn V missile uh, rocket carrier. No, it wasn't. It wasn't Cape Canaveral. It wasn't Vandenberg Air Force Base. Because what they had in Vandenberg, AFB, was only Mission Control Center. But the launch was from Diego Garcia Island in the Indian Ocean. And that specific year, 1976, was, was the first year when America was back on the moon since cancellation of uh, Apollo missions. Forget about Apollo. What they used from Apollo were only limbs lunar expeditionary models, number 14 and number 15. If you look for these numbers, just uh, for example, in Wikipedia, you'll find that, oh, apparently they were uh, ever constructed or put in parts. No, they used lunar expeditionary models from Apollo. And what they used was a secret space shuttle. Because besides this famous space shuttle that everybody knows, the so-called white project, they also had this black project, this military space shuttle, which has um, uh, combined power plant and also nuclear power plant and also air, air engines like aircraft have, has uh, combined power plants, secret military space shuttle. And this shuttle was constructed in USA. And it was tested in Area 51 in Groom Lake in the years 1974-1975. And it was already operational in the years 1975. And its first flight to the moon happened in 1976. At first, it was a mission just to fly around the moon by this space shuttle to open cargo bay. And later, other missions did happen. And uh, one mission from was from Johnston Island Atoll in Pacific. And they brought equipment to construct a specific base on the backside of the moon. Uh, these missions were uh, in sequence. It, it wasn't one, only one mission, no. Since 1976, uh, America was back on the moon. And it lasted since 1983, at least, when terrible accident happened with one of the shuttles. It was destroyed by aliens and three American astronauts were killed. And actually, it was alien sabotage, and aliens were against this further exploration of the backside of the moon by uh, America, basically. But Soviet Union was covering this up as well. Soviet Union was part of this international cover-up, and 
Apollo Soyuz test flight in 1975 was only the first mission, but it wasn't the last mission. However, in this particular mission from Diego Garcia Island in 1976 uh, by this uh, secret military space shuttle, only three uh, astronauts took part and all of them were Americans. It wasn't joint US-Soviet mission. Uh, joint US-Soviet missions were later. And the very first mission was exclusively American one. And this shuttle, it's very remarkable. It can start by itself, without any additional rocket fuel tanks and without this huge solid fuel rocket boosters, you know, it's it, no, not necessary to force this shuttle because this shuttle is very powerful because of the nuclear reactor and nuclear trusts, uh, trust and <clears throat> it's very powerful. It uh, can use only 2,500 run meters runway like they have on Johnston Island, Johnston Atoll, and also Diego Garcia, and also Kwajalein Island and Marshall Silence in Pacific was involved in this secret uh, space flight, and also Wake Island in Pacific where they also have this uh, runway and they have in total three islands in Pacific, Wake, Johnston and Kwajalein and one island in the Indian Ocean, Diego Garcia and some other islands, very secret airfields they were used for these space flights since 1976. And this is international cover because they brought uh, approximately 300 kilograms of artifacts from this craft. They did never found the alien woman, so-called Monolisa. No, forget it, it's fake. But they indeed investigated, they penetrated. Actually, two astronauts descended by lunar expeditionary model, because when the space shuttle enters the lunar orbit, it opens cargo bay, and two lunar expeditionary models were positioned inside this cargo bay. One was for um, ordinary operations, the second operations, the second was auxiliary, L-E-M, lunar expeditionary model. And they use this one guy was staying in the cabin orbiting moon in the cabin of the space shuttle and two guys descended and before equipment was brought even by automatic um, uh, interplanetary stations there were secret launches to the moon some equipment was brought to the back side of the moon in total secrecy and later these astronauts these guys were assembling this equipment from pieces to construct this um, telemetry uh, relay systems and also they put telescope lunar telescope on the back side of the moon 
to see um, all distant stars without any atmospheric uh, you know, hindrances very easily with this clear space, you know. And they have amazing photos from this telescope from backside of the moon. But basically that program was American. Uh, and Soviet Union uh, cooperated uh, in some parts and also Russia because some artifacts were brought to Russia and to the Soviet Union as well because Soviet Union was very curious. Soviet said, okay, go there, but bring us the results. We also want to know what this alien spacecraft is. It's derelict. And Nixon, president of US, he was well aware. And since 1971, preparation was organized for this expedition to the moon. They knew that Apollo is already closed. They had these final Apollo missions, no more Apollos, forget about Apollo. And this other lunar program was using space shuttles, secret space shuttles, military shuttles. And in general, they constructed only three of them, this uh, military top secret big shuttles, bigger than ordinary shuttles. They had bigger weights. They had this landing gears, um, much more durable, and big tail because they positioned this uh, power plant at the back side of the shuttles. And uh, But cargo bay was the same size. and. Mm, they use them since at least 1983. And one of my uh, acquaintances saw the shuttle in hangar in Edwards Air Force Base in California. It was there. And definitely they tested them in Area 51. Definitely. Well, I wanted to just kind of like just to get a sense of uh, what, what, the, what, the sh what this uh, secret shuttle uh, looked like. I mean, uh, here's the... Um, uh, the uh, Atlantis space shuttle, and that was uh, powered by uh, conventional rocket engines. But this secret space shuttle used for that um, for that mission in 1976, you're saying it had a nuclear engine. So, uh, well, what the so you just was it kind of like a similar configuration thermodynamically? Yeah, yeah. It was designed to yeah, kind of like yeah, glide yeah. through the space. Yeah, you want to explain? Yeah, sure, because this military shuttle was bigger, bigger and earlier than Enterprise. If you study the history of civilian space shuttles, you can find that the very first of them was Enterprise, tested since 1977 at Edwards by some test pilots. And this military shuttle was earlier because it was construction constructed under this guise of this official program because the official space shuttle program was the cover. Just the, to organize this cover-up, you need some lead, you know, some screen to distract attention of all foreign intelligences and uh, different people from this black program. And this was really black program. And not just only nuclear engine they used. They used, used hybrid engine 
hybrid power plant, uh, which consists of different engines. Nuclear engine was activated only after takeoff. When it took off and gained uh, proper altitude, it then uh, activates its nuclear power plant and boom, it zooms uh, like a bullet upwards into space and it's very hard to track this. And this specific military space shuttle was much heavier and with bigger power plant and not only traditional plants they use, they also used, used reverse engineering from the captured UFOs. They also used alien technology as a part of this space shuttle and some construction materials because the famous project that was called X-20 dinosaur or dynamic soaring, you know, it's not dinosaurs from Jurassic Park, that's dynamic soaring into atmosphere, it was called X-20 project. And reportedly, Minister of, Secretary of Defense uh, Robert Robert McNamara canceled this project in 1963, but they spent huge money, you know, about $5 billion in present prices. Who spends $5 billion and then cancels the project? That's crazy and ridiculous. Uh, the real story behind this is that this project was transferred to the category of black projects or ASAPs, un uh, USAPs, unacknowledged special access projects or programs, USAPs. And that's why they continued research and development with this space shuttles. US didn't stop the space shuttle program. Dinosaur was reconfigured. Of course, old models were mm, put to pieces and they declined as all the variants. But the first talks about space shuttles were in 1969. And officially, the space shuttle program was declared in 1972. That was the year when this covered black military program was already uh, uh, in process, in progress, before civilian program, before guys. And that's the biggest secret of American space shuttle program. If you dig out deeply all those facts, you'll find amazing things about American space shuttle program. And you'll find the fact about the existence of these three uh, constructed secret variants. And they're very advanced, they're heavier, and they have how they look like, actually. They look very similar, but uh, several differences. First, they have more this isolation plates, these black plates on surface, more black color, color, color. Second, they don't have any name on any civilian shuttle. You can read Enterprise, Columbia, Challenger, Discovery, Atlantis, Endeavor, but you don't find any of those names on those shuttles. And they also have this big air intakes under the belly for um, uh, engines uh, for 
atmospheric engines, and they also have this big tail with nuclear power plant and much bigger um, tail it has, much bigger tail. And nozzle sets the back side a little bit different and much more powerful and durable uh, wheels, landing gears different. Well, I wanted to ask you about uh, the, the the Soviet space shuttle program. I mean, you, you mentioned that the uh, American space shuttle program was a, the civilian program was a cover for uh, a military shuttle program that the that the U.S. had. Now I know that the Soviets they they had I think it was called the Buran. Maybe you can explain Buran. that uh, the yeah. Buran. Explain what what that is in terms of uh, this kind of uh, military space shuttle that the Soviets. Uh, I think they developed uh, several of these prototypes. So you know, again, was this a cover? Did they was was there a real Russian black program using these? kind of uh, nuclear-powered space shuttles? No, Russia did never use nuclear power in these shuttles because Buran was a pitiful and miserable attempt to copy uh, American space shuttle, um, but uh, it's better than American's official space shuttle. But it flew only once in 1988. And that was only one flight to space, unmanned, totally unmanned, without any crew. And after that, uh, the Soviet Union was in crisis, and Mikhail Gorbachev said, we began this perestroika, glasnost, and uh, friendly relations with U.S., so we don't need the military use. We don't need military escalation in space, and that's why they canceled military missions, and uh, the fate is very sad of this Russian space shuttle, actually. One exemplar of it was recently destroyed in a hangar because the roof was seen and the roof was out, and some construction materials fell upon the roof of the space shuttle in Baikonur, actually destroying it partly. It was a very sad story because it was a very um, stupid attempt to copy American official program. But if Soviets could imply and uh, develop uh, the copy of American nuclear shuttles, it could be much better. And they had such variants in the Soviet Union. Indeed, they had Mississippi Construction Bureau had this program called Holot um, Team uh, Topic or Coldness. Um, program, which was about nuclear-powered space shuttle, indeed, in the Soviet Union. But they canceled it in favor of this Buran, you know, Buran, and the snowstorm. In, in English, it's snowstorm Buran. It's very pitiful, and it has, uh, because it's very expensive. And they don't need this because they have much more advanced vehicles and the international cooperation and SSP and secret space program. And uh, I believe to some extent it was a uh, cover up as well, but very few people knew about <coughs> SSP. 
in the Soviet Union and in Russia as well. But in Russia, they have more corrupted country now. And uh, Roscosmos, the Soviet, uh, sorry, Russian counterpart of, Na of NASA, much more corrupted. They can buy everything, every person can be sold. They're all deep into this corruption. It's very corrupted, very. It's very dirty business. Well, I, I, I do want to bring this interview to a close, but there's so much more to discuss. I hope, I hope we can continue with another interview. But I just wanted to uh, first ask, I mean, uh, are you safe in revealing all of this information? I mean, uh, I mean it's very sensitive information you're revealing, especially talking about uh, this uh, Urals Mountain facility and what's happening yeah. there. Just remember, if anything bad will happen with me, that's because of it. Like Bob Lazar said, to secure himself, I also want to say the same, because now I'm exposing this to the whole world, and I want people to know the truth. And if something happens with me, this will be because of my revelation about this. Just remember, people. And I hope, like Bob Lazar, to be safe because his guarantee of his security was his publicity you know that's what i also believe in this publicity because i wasn't directly involved more or less i'm saying and i know this from different sources i wasn't myself the participant of these operations but anyway i just want to say everything i know and that's the end of it. I don't know more, guys. All I knew, I just said to you, and that's my guarantee of my safety and my security. Well, you've already revealed a, a lot, and I look forward to interviewing you again and, and, and going uh, deeper into this uh, Russian secret space program and what's happening today. I want to thank you for your courage in, in coming forward and sharing all of this information. So, well, thank you, Dr. Anton Anfalov. Welcome. You're always welcome. It's very nice to communicate with you. You have been listening to ExoPolitics Today with Dr. Michael Sala. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe to this channel. Join or start a conversation in the comments. Take the time to explore the vast library of best-selling books, webinars, and podcasts by Dr. Sala. Visit exopoliticstoday.com. Thank you.